Hi, I'm Stephen W. Martin, the writer-director of Dead Hearts. I gotta say, guys, we've been to a lot of festivals with our run, and I gotta say, this is probably the nicest festival I have ever been to. Look, straight up, if you've done a horror film, or a fantastic film, or a combination of the two, you need to apply to this film festival. You might get in! And if you do, you're going to have an amazing time. I'd really recommend you guys coming down for this because it's incredible. You are listening to the official podcast of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, where we brought an analysis of stigmatized creative expression in film, art, and literature to understand the misunderstood. Your host is Miguel Rodriguez. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining our wrap-up of the 2015 Horrible Imaginings Film Festival in San Diego. Let's start by mentioning one single incident. Author and screenwriter Cody Goodfellow struck a chord on Saturday's festivities when he jumped on stage as one of the representatives of his film, Clown Town, Bombo and Flopsy in an Honest Mistake. As an opening statement, he said, and I paraphrase, I can't say enough how it warms the cockles of my heart to see more than 20 people in my hometown gathered for something other than football. Now, anyone not from San Diego might be hard-pressed to appreciate the full extent of Cody's statement, but for myself and some of the other people I know in San Diego who try desperately to build an audience for arts and culture events, they ring very close to home. This very podcast has noted in the past the difficulty to find a truly passionate arts and culture audience, most recently in our conversation with performance artist Anna Janoszkiewicz. I definitely think San Francisco has a higher respect for art. Yes. You don't have to tell people that there's going to be alcohol at the event for them to show up. That is, is also nice. very San Diego, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah. It's like, I, I always know, like, if there's not a bar at my event, there's going to be half the amount of people that are going to be there if there, if there is. Okay, to clarify... I'm not starting the podcast this way in order to lead into a whining diatribe against San Diego. I'm merely attempting to help listeners, particularly those listeners from outside our fine city, to understand that the arts community here in San Diego and the audience for those arts events is rather small and difficult to find. I am coming to realize, though, that it is that very difficulty which heightens the love I feel after this year's Horrible Imaginings Film Festival. As Cody said, the audience who occupied the seats at the Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park this, well, about a week ago actually now, by the time I'm recording this, truly warmed the cockles of my heart. And they are all the more precious for their rarity. Not to say I don't want more of you guys, but I appreciate everybody who is becoming a part of our growing film community. I really live a charmed life. I have an amazing wife who is remarkably supportive of everything I do. I have a superb number of friends in this city that I can now officially call home after six years of living here. I have the perfect cinematic partner with Beth Accomando, whose passion, whose brilliance and dedication has been instrumental in working toward our unified vision of fostering a film community here in San Diego. So you should subscribe to her podcast, Cinema Junkie, as part of KPBS. Most of you know her as the KPBS arts and culture reporter for San Diego 
As programmers and event coordinators trying to build that film community, Beth and I are a bit in the lion's den of arts apathy, as I mentioned before. But I think that is partly the element that drives us so hard, rather than forcing us to raise the white flag of defeat. More importantly, it is that very element that keeps the community we have built thus far with Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, with the film geeks at the D- Digital Gym Cinema, with Shot by Shot, which we used to do at Whistle Stop Bar, with Schlockfest, which hopefully will start again at the Central Library downtown, with Delirio, and more. We do so many things. It makes our audience all the more dedicated, all the more passionate, and all the more intelligent, too. You may have noticed that I have not even started by talking about festival particulars yet, and that's because our community is the most important thing to me, and I wanted to express my gratitude for them. As filmmaker A.J. Briones, the director of The Smiling Man, said after he experienced our festival last week, It was an amazing audience with some of the most compelling, intelligent questions I have ever been asked in a QA. and a And it's great for me to see a director come in from out of town and recognize the intelligence of our audience. And by the way, this is the first time I'm quoting AJ on that topic, and it has nothing to do with why his film The Smiling Man took home the trophy for the best monster show short film of the festival. That was all about quality and effectiveness, which his film has in spades. And speaking of film quality, I am getting overwhelming feedback about the high quality of films we programmed. Not just the quality, but the variety, both factors in helping me meet my mission of exploring fear through film and helping to elevate the perception people have of the horror genre in general. This year has been the most successful I have felt at meeting that mission statement. It sets a really high bar for next year. I would be remiss if I didn't attribute a lot of our success to the great volunteers that we had helping us at Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, including my volunteer coordinator, Jen McCleary-Allen, who did a great job organizing volunteers and making sure that my checklist was checked twice, and uh, really, she has been instrumental in making thing, making sure everything moved smoothly. really want to thank uh, Kristen Naomi for being an outstanding volunteer, going up to pick, driving to pick up food, Barney Ferks driving to pick up food and to pick up Ariane Ulmer Sipes from the hotel room, uh, other volunteers, Hannah, you did a great job, and filmmaker Greg Lowe, whose film After Image we showed, also volunteered with Uh, his girlfriend Alyssa, and Greg went the extra mile by driving all the way to Burbank to pick up our program, so we had them in time for the festival. That was a huge thing. Thanks, of course, to Bang Zoom Pow and Ty Mabry for the amazing promotional short films and the trailer that we've made, as, as well as, you know, helping us integrate ourselves more in the local San Diego film community. That's been something that's very important to us. Thanks so much to Kathy Alberich for your social media help and keeping the Facebook page engaging and for your spiritual support and always being a great friend. And Jen's kids, you did a great job. Brittany, thank you for manning the booth, the check-in table for so long. Gosh, we had so many great volunteers this year. It was really just, uh, it made everything so much better and, and helped me, my blood pressure to stay at a livable level. Um, my selection committee, Phil and Dee Dee and Beth, 
I couldn't have programmed this without your help watching all the films that we got this year. And thanks, of course, to the filmmakers who decided to attend the festival to represent their films, particularly those filmmakers who drove in from out of town. Uh, Even as close by as L.A., it can be very uh, challenging to get to San Diego through that Los Angeles traffic. So I'm thinking J.T. Seaton, thank you so much for being there. Um, Eve Edelson, thanks for flying in. Uh, Gigi Sol Guerrero, thank you for coming all the way from Vancouver. And then some of the filmmakers who came from really far away. She, uh, the director of She, Pablo Absento, you flew all the way from Tokyo, which is really amazing. And Xin Yen Lu, who came all the way from Taiwan to represent his film Thanatos. Another amazing feat and uh, you filmmakers made it such a special weekend, not just as the creative team behind your art, but also as friends and as community members engaging with the audience and making this a really top-notch film festival. Uh, My heart goes out to you, so thank you all so much. If there's anyone I forgot, please forgive me your... Help does not go unnoticed. I am still recovering and not in my right state of mind. But just know that everyone who is involved in any way, like Jose and Blanca and just everybody, you are all part of the family, and you always will be. But now let's go to the discussion I had wrapping up the festival with film programming partner Beth Accomando, as well as festival regular Joshua Sutton, which we conducted at the Son of Monster Palooza event this past weekend. You're uh, all punch drunk. I am punch drunk. It is the end of Monster Palooza. So currently we are in the lobby of the Burbank Marriott Hotel. You may hear some background conversations going on as people, I guess, sit and decompress from a weekend of Monster Palooza, but we're not talking about Monster Palooza. This is a a kind of a wrap up or a reflection on how horrible imaginings 2015 went. I have with me Beth Accomando. Hello, Beth Accomando from Cinema Junkie. There you go. And to my right, on this luscious couch, I have regular festival attendee, Sir Joshua Sutton. <laughs> Hello. Okay. (laughs) First of all, I guess let's just put this out there uh, from your perspectives, since I did talk about mine in the introduction that neither of you have heard yet. Give me some of your initial thoughts about how the festival went as a whole. And uh, Beth, I think I'll start with you and I'll pass you the microphone. Well, I think the most important thing is that the quality of the films really seems to have jumped this year. Filmmakers seem to have kicked it up a notch. The programming was great. The variety, diversity, the different countries, everything was just kicked up. So I think for a festival, the key thing is the films that you're seeing there. And I think on that level, the festival has really jumped leaps and bounds. Going to MOPA, one of the nicest, most beautiful theaters in San Diego. It's a great venue. It's wonderful to see horror in a museum setting. Mm -hmm. I think that's really nice. It kind of um, 
puts it in a place where I think most people don't think of it, and that's part of what your mission is, is to help us redefine horror on film and to broaden that definition so you think of it in more ways. So I think those two things were key to the festival really being a huge success. On that note with MOPA, um, first of all, it does seem like uh, the prestige and the way people viewed the festival just by saying it was the Museum of Photographic Arts really changed their even the way their faces looked when I, I would say that. But the other side of that is the people who worked at MOPA, like Paolo and Ryan and, and so some of the other MOPA staff, once the festival went underway, one common thing they kept saying to me is, wow, these films are really good. <laughs> I, I, think, I think MOPA themselves were not expecting a quality film festival or there may have been some preconceived notions what do you think about that well i mean i think that's the issue horror always faces is that people put it in a particular box and keep it locked up there and even today i'm here at uh, monster palooza son of monster palooza and i had a chance to interview tom holland who directed fright night and when i asked him about what appealed to him about working in the horror genre and he specified he says i don't work in horror i work in suspense Mm. so i mean i think people want to somehow limit horror to a very narrow place of kind of gross out scares or um, low budget films and so i think to see it in anything beyond that is people get surprised. And so the fact that you had this diverse array of films, I mean, just your categories alone, you had horror comedy, you had monster horror, you had childhood fears, you had your new category of horror for humanity, which is films in which the horror comes from reality, from things that are occurring in the real world. So I think people put horror into a narrow category, and I think that's what you were seeing with the people with MOPA, the film festival coming to celebrate horror they probably imagined you'd have mostly young male attendees who wanted to see splatter gore and that's not what there was josh yes so i want to get your perspective on how the festival went and you have four years now i think of going to this festival to compare it to and uh i also wanted to get your take as an audience member on what you would expect from a horror film festival and whether or not this meets or exceeds or changes your expectations in any way. Well, like you said, it was my fourth. Uh, so I've seen the gambit from some interesting ones uh, to some very good ones. And I have to say this year, from beginning to end, it was, it was one of the best, I think. Um, what I expect when I come to, obviously, a festival like this, I, I, I want to be entertained. I want to see some creativity. Uh, some originality, and for the most part, I'd say very, very most of the things that we saw were original, were well done, I mean, excellently done, Uh, and uh, exceeded my expectations, actually. I I love the location. I think what I liked the most, too, is after, between going out into the lobby area and people coming up that are just in the park, just hanging out, walking around, asking what it is, and we tell them, and you know, they'd go and buy a ticket and go in. I think that's uh, really awesome because I'd like to see this un- for another four, five, six, seven years and get even bigger. I think that'd be awesome. I think that was one, uh, I don't want to say totally unexpected, but somewhat unexpected benefit of being at Bubble Park 
and MOPA in general is you had a foot traffic of people who would be interested, unlike at 10th Avenue Theater, where people are probably going to like the ball game or Hodad's, who would just walk by and, and not care. And uh, unlike Digital Gym, where you get the same kind of kind of street foot traffic, people are just kind of going to get burgers or whatever, or going to the bar. Uh, going to a film festival is not something that would pique their interest to interrupt their day to become a part of. But people going to Balboa Park, they're like, hmm, maybe I want to check out a museum. Maybe I want to check out the uh, the Friendship Garden. Oh, there's a horror film festival. This is different. There's a whole group of people standing there. Let's go uh, see what's going on. Let's, let's see what's happening. And um, I th- I actually, I thought that was great. And I know there were a couple of people that were coming in, talking to some of the people that were... Uh, uh, had been there for a while and asking what it was about and um, I, I, I think you you got some more people that are going to hook and I think ultimately that place is going to get filled up every time. I hope so. I mean it's nice that the filmmakers too didn't lock themselves in the green room. They were out, they were talking to people and, and so some of those uh, walk-ins will say mm-hmm. did end up talking to directors and say oh you actually made some of these. I think that was kind of neat too. Let's uh, let's talk about some of our what you think were some of the stronger blocks or uh, films or themes that you, that stood out in your memory, and uh, and whether you think you know we want to continue what what you would like to see coming in the future. Well, I did enjoy the addition of the horror for humanity section. It's nice to expand those boundaries of horror, and these were exceptionally well made films that explored very kind of intimate issues of horror, things that dealt with uh, genocide, you know, people's loss over you know, um, loved ones having died, and uh, My Mother's Songs, which is you know, some personal stories of abuse and, and pain. And, and all this, I think, expanded it. But it was great to have that next door to, you know, horror comedy. I mean, to show you that there's this diverse range. And there were a number of films like Bunny, which were so well calibrated, which was nice. And it was nice to see, and this is the same thing with my mother's songs also, and Bunny, is they were these well calibrated films that asked the audience to be patient for a payoff. That it does, Neither of these films announced what they were from the start. And you had to be willing to kind of surrender yourself to them to see where they went and both of them delivered exceptionally well and I think it was great to see an audience go from a bunch of shorts with horror comedies where the payoffs come very quickly to something that really demands a completely different pace from them and be open to them and be willing to see those kind of films so I, I think it, it's nice to see that kind of breath at a festival. Programming a film like My Mother's Songs is a challenge because it is it asks so much of its audience to um, be reflective and sit and just immer- let let what's being projected on screen wash over you and and do some work as an audience member a little bit uh, and so part of it is respecting the intelligence of the audience that they will be able to uh, have the attention span for a film like that. But also, you know, where in the day do you program something like that? Um, and I think it worked out really well that we had the horror, uh, the comedy and the creature feature come before it. 
um, and then the LGBT movies come directly after it because uh, you have kind of like the morning of fun and then you give people a more heavy uh, and challenging content. And I remember, you know, once once the horror from humanity block was over, I said, okay, time to lighten it up. Let's both of the LGBT titles we had, the short Sanguine Craving and the feature You're Killing Me, are both really lighthearted and hilarious. And I feel like after people kind of went through the, the, the ringer a little bit with my mother's songs and, uh, and Ant's Apartment, which is another title that a lot of people really enjoyed, it made them enjoy the kind of more lighthearted stuff all the more. And that's another thing about our audience. Some were there just for a block or two, but the vast majority were there for the long haul. And they all stuck it out. They all stuck it out. Do you uh, have anything you can say about Josh, about the, diff the f a film like My Mother's Songs or some of the more um, slow pieces in comparison and being on the same program, the same screen, the same day as something like Clown Town? Well, I mean, obviously they're two completely different things. Uh, but at the same time, like Mother's Song, that's real. You know, and sometimes reality is scary as hell. You know, ghouls and zombies and monsters are all cool. You know, and the comedy is all, it's, it, you know, it's, it makes you happy watching it, you know, or grossed out or, or like, whoa, but when you see something like Mother's Song and Ants, what was the other? Ants? Ants Apartment. Ants Apartment, sorry, excuse me, sorry. Uh, you know, something that's real, reality, that's, you know, it, it really hits you, you know, and you respect the people that filmed it. You see why they did it. You understand why they would do something like that. And it just, it, it kind of is like a part of someone else's life that just is, it's powerful. And um, I definitely, you know, when you go to a, a festival like that, the, the back and forth to that I think is perfect because... I mean, you need, sometimes, if true horror films, you need to see the stuff that's really scary, you know? And um, I think that uh, I respect the, the people that put themselves out there like that uh, because you know it's very important. Like the filmmaker that came for Mother's Song, I mean, you knew, and when he was talking about it, I mean, you saw, you felt that this was something that was important to him. And... Um, and not only was it good, but it was, uh, I mean, it was powerful. I mean, obviously. I mean, even though it was a little slow, slow is fine if it's power, if there's something behind the slow. Uh, if it's slow and boring, then obviously, yeah, you know, that's, that's a cr crime that I can't even forgive. But, I mean, it wasn't boring. It was, uh, you, you know, you heard every beat. You heard every song. You heard every everything that was happening you saw you saw the visuals um that were there and it was uh i mean very very good and i'm glad it was shown and i expect and hope that we will see more of like that uh, in coming years well i mean that's actually my worry is i mean it, it's there's always great stuff being made but I, I am proud of the program that came out this year, and, I, and it makes me just worry about, oh, man, what, what am I going to get in February? Like, <laughs> how are we going to top it next year? And uh, I'm already thinking about ways we can top the organization and the festival for next year. 
but the uh, the content, the films are completely out of our hands in terms of what we get submitted. So uh, it's that's actually part of the thrill. I mean, what I would say on, on that is that as your festival continues to grow, you're setting the bar higher. And I mean, I think filmmakers will respect the fact that, hey, this is a horror festival that is now taking place at a museum. How often do I get to show my film in that kind of venue? And I think some of the programming, like the Horror for Humanity, may be harder to find those blocks, but it just may mean you're going to have to seek stuff out a little more. But I think it's there. Um, But I think the more you raise the bar and the more you ask of filmmakers... You know, you're going to start getting more submissions, people who think maybe my film isn't horror. I mean, I really give props to the filmmakers who did Ant's Apartment, because that's the film that started us off thinking we wanted a block of films of horror from the real world. Now, their film is not by any means conventional horror. Uh, I think it took guts to submit it to a horror festival where you could have easily said, like, oh, you know, are you crazy? That's not a horror film and just tossed it out but i think if word gets out that that's the kind of stuff you're looking for and you know you let filmmakers know that you have this broader definition you're going to start getting some more interesting choices i think i think part of what helps with that is doing a podcast like this where we sit down and talk and reflect and really let put it out there what we're looking for and how thoughtful we are about the programming since beth you are one of my uh, selection committee so uh, I do think it'll make some people more willing to submit to the horrible imaginings, which sounds like, oh, my gosh, this doesn't fit us at all. Uh, Ant's apartment was brave, and, and they didn't, I don't believe they gave me any kind of cover letter. Uh, on the same note, the Forgiving Sky, which was in the same block from Myanmar, they did give a cover letter where they tried to justify why they were submitting it to me, which, you know, that's... I'm still of two minds about that. Part of me wishes they hadn't done that, but I also completely, uh, completely understand why they did. But, you know, <laughs> it was kind of this thing, was like, you know, this is horrible too. This is, this is a, a type of horror too. The, the, the director, uh, Myat No was, was trying to justify his submission. And part of me is like, yes, this is great. This is what I'm looking for. You don't need to tell me twice. But, uh, but I understand why you felt he had to do that. And it does show he's like, He's thinking about the film he was making in a different way, too, because he wants different types of audiences to see it, not just, you know, the uh, the Burmese Film Festival or something. He, he He's going to get a completely different set of eyes mm-hmm. on Forgiving Sky at Horrible Imaginings than he would at, at Pack Human Arts. Human Rights Film Festival, uh, like Human Rights Watch or something like that. Yeah, precisely, exactly. And, uh, and I, I do want to find a lot more films like that. Oh, since we are a 501c3, this is one thing I want to do too is, is something similar to what you had with, uh, the student film festival where you have a scholarship opportunity or some way to give back to the community where I can justify our nonprofit status. Uh, I want to do a lot more than that with not only to justify the nonprofit status, but to, uh, it's another way that we can uh, challenge people's perceptions of what a horror festival is. It's, it's, uh, more than just, uh, a bunch of freaks, like scary people in, in a theater. No, I have to say too, horror is, I mean, a lot of people have this perception that horror is just blood and guts or jump scares, and it's not. You know, look at, you, you look at, 
the, the programs. You had comedy horror. You had drama horror. horror. You had science fiction. You had supernatural. Uh, I mean, horror can be so many things uh, to so many people. And, you know, it's not just, you know, the, the, the ghoul movie. You know, it's not just the blood and guts. It can be real sometimes. It can be the just the things that make you think or worried or you know or even sick. You know, like the one the one the other one where the uh, human trafficking. You know, that's that to me that's frightening as hell. Uh, you know, I, that would be probably probably frightening for any parent too to be in that situation. That 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 would be their nightmare and. That is obviously a horror. And to just say, you know, I'm surprised at something like this. I, I really hope it would open up more and, and show that it's not just the one category. It could be so many other things. And um, that's why I love the, the, your festival, too, because you do show the different levels. It's not just the one thing. It's not just, you know, all blood and guts for three straight days. If it was that, then... It, I mean, after the third day, it would be kind of boring, <laughs> you know. Well, maybe not for me, because I like the bull and guts, but, um, but you, you know, just to see the different things and the different people, and, you know, you're giving people a chance, too. These A lot of the people that you had on there are first time, you know, and that's important for some of them. You know, that that's everything to them. You know, like the guy who showed the mother's song, that was showing that in that venue is probably the most important thing that's happened to him in his career. Seriously. You know? Because that... Well, yeah, of course. I hope it doesn't stay the most. But at that moment, and that's what a lot of filmmakers are probably, are, are really want, is that opportunity. And you're giving him that opportunity. And some of them will hopefully succeed, and some of them won't. But, you know, at least you're giving them the venue to show it to them. I show it to an audience that will appreciate it. And that's the whole thing, too, about this festival is the audience appreciates everything that's shown. Now, we may not like everything that's shown. We all voice that we don't like everything we like it's shown. But we appreciate that the work behind it. And, um, I mean, I, I personally will never look down on anyone that puts out their art. You know, because that, in a lot of ways, that's like standing in front of an, uh, a group of people in just your underwear, basically, you know, but naked, you know, exactly. This is frightening as hell to some of these people. And um, I, I think it's awesome what you're doing. I think this festival's awesome. And I, I like the many levels that you show. You heard it all here. <laughs> uh, one, I, one last thing. Yes, let's get that. Uh, one last thing. Um, you also show uh, films from the class. You're calling what your repertory films? Yeah, that's the classics. The classics. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, it's great to remind people that we have a long history of horror, and horror has taken many different forms. And to be able to show an Edgar Ulmer film, Bluebeard, black and white on 35 millimeter, was just wonderful. And there were people in the audience who had never seen it. I think three people raised their hand when I asked how many. How many? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people had never seen it. And their first viewing experience of this old 1944 film is going to be a black and white 35 millimeter print of it in a museum setting. I think that's fabulous. With with the daughter of the director, Omer, in, in the auditorium with them, 
with the, his biographer, Noah Eisenberg, who wrote his uh, biography recently in the auditorium with them. After an introduction, I think that was really powerful for them. Uh, that was great. I think uh, Bluebeard, for Horrible Imaginings anyway, is the uh, the farthest back we've gone in terms of how old a film no, we've shown. Bride of Frankenstein. Didn't you show that? It wasn't part? for main oh, Horrible Imaginings, so we did that as a quarterly. Okay, Because uh, Bride would be older. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think the closest we got to that was probably Godzilla, actually. That's 1954. Ten years exactly mm-hmm. later. Um, and then uh, Le Yus en Visage yeah. was uh, just a little bit after that. So uh, going back as far as Bluebeard, and Bluebeard being an interesting uh, example as well, because it was not only an old film, but it was also not a studio film. So it was an old studio era example of independent film. And I think that too made it, lent it, a, lent it an interesting angle. Um, and then, of course, the 35mm of De la Morte de la More as well, not going back as far, but also kind of showing, I think, one of the peak examples of a certain uh, class of filmmaking, which is the like art house Italian horror mm-hmm. film. That, and for what a lot of the Argentos and, and Fulci's and uh, Bava's and that there did. I think that De la Morte de la More, it's kind of the last one, really captures the, the essence of, the, of that as well. So seeing that on 35 was also a really amazing experience. So you're right, it's not just the, the modern. It's also mm-hmm. what came before, what laid the groundwork. And uh, that's my next challenge is, is what is going to be repertory for next year. That's always one of the first things I try <laughs> to do. I knew I was going to do Bluebeard right away, but... Uh, but Cemetery Man came a little, or Delamorte Delamorte came a little, a little later. Any uh, final thoughts? What about animation? What do you guys think? That's the one thing I want. What do you think of an animation block rather than including animated with the rest of the films? I struggled with that. One. Yeah, programming is always difficult because you know th- there were films in the comedy block that could have fit in other sections there were films that were in the childhood fear that could have been moved somewhere else uh i think you had the huckster in the was that child's nightmare which could have also fit in the uh horror for humanity because it's based on the real life of a serial killer who murdered young children so programming is always tricky but i think wherever you put the films makes people perceive them in a different way so it can be a way to make people rethink things. And, you know, animation, putting them all together, I think you could easily have separated them out into different places. But it's kind of nice to see them all together because then you can kind of compare quality and techniques and styles and see how even within a narrow focus, you still have a lot of diversity. Bingo. That You just hit the nail on the head with the last thing you said. That was why I decided to go with that. I, in the past, I'd always, it, 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 I would put it animated before mm-hmm. a set. And, but this time you're able to get a survey. Uh, and plus I got more animated submitted this year. But, uh, but I did like so, showing the diversity. You know, Mute, which was a clout, crowd pleaser, is vastly different than Junk Girl, mm-hmm. uh, which is much more somber. But that is some, I also wanted to give someone who was, a fan of animation, the opportunity to, you know, I want, here's 10 bucks for a ticket for just the animated. 
I was hoping we'd get more. We got one, <laughs> Jason Height, <laughs> who is an animator himself. Uh, he actually found a babysitter for his kid and made it out to see his uh, animated the animated block because uh, that's something that is of particular interest to him. So you know, I would like to have something like a spike, what kind of like what Spike and Mike do as a section of it. It's just I'm always thinking of the way to make it the best it can be. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm pretty happy with how everything came out. Obviously, I think MOPA is probably going... Well, we're already on the calendar for MOPA next year. So, uh, while it has its challenges, every venue is going to have its challenges. And uh, I believe most of the challenges were overcome this year. And I don't think anything can beat the prestige of the venue. And over the week, last week, this has been solidified with you know, talking to J.T. Seaton, who's a director, and Frank Woodward, who's one of the directors, and a lot of the filmmakers who were there were just gushing over the venue. So, uh, or and Stephen W. Martin, we had a video of him gushing over the venue too. There's a special quality to seeing a movie like Frank Woodward's Balloon with Graham Skipper and Killer Balloons on on a gorgeous venue that is intended for film preservation and and uh and exhibiting the best of the best so uh yeah i think uh, i'm honestly i I'm, I'm a little bit honored that they wanted me there in the first place it was them coming to me more than me going to them and uh and that they seem quite eager for us to come back after after <laughs> After what I, I think it might have been some reticence on their part once things were getting rolling, it's like, oh gosh, what are we getting into? I think that they were pretty happy with how everything came out. So when I went there to pay our rent, they were, uh, they were asking me if I was planning next year already. And I said, I have some notes. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Josh? Mopo was great. We got to do it again there. <laughs> and, um, I mean, like I said before, it was this would be the this is the fourth one, and I really honestly, I, you know, I'm not uh, the fourth one I've been at. I have to correct fourth one I've been at, uh, and it is the best one so far, uh, best quality, uh, best selection, gr- best grouping. Um, side note with the animation, I do like the fact that it was all in one area. Uh, I you know because I was looking forward to that. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of the regulars too, are looking forward to the animation. And when it were split up, sometimes if you miss one, it's like, oh. Uh, but now, you know, you know it's there. You go, and uh, some of them were great. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite uh, groups where the animation was. But uh, final thought is, uh, I, I'm looking forward to next year. Um, this is great. It's getting better, and I cannot wait to see what you have in store for us next year. Or yeah. <laughs> I was going to give Beth another final thought, but I have to give my final thought because it piggybacks off of Josh's. My final thought is I hear a lot about this being the best year, and I agree. And that is both awesome and intimidating because I have next year <laughs> that I want to, of course, make it better. Um, but that's just something that's going to make us as I do point to in my introduction, make us all the, mo- all the more stronger for it. Every time we have a good year, I think we need to reflect on what made it good 
and really look for some of those films, the standout films for people like from the audience. Standout films were films like Bunny, The Smiling Man, um, uh, My Mother's Songs, some of these films that were really, really powerful and, and try to reclaim films that will re- uh, resonate with people. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's my challenge. And Beth, your challenge too, because I hope you'll be on my selection committee <laughs> for next year, uh, is, is finding the next set. Yeah, I look forward to that. I mean, it's, although there were some bad films to wade through to get to the good, um, I think the final selection of films was incredibly rewarding and inspiring to see that much good horror and that much diversity in horror coming out. Yeah, I think my, one of the things, and this is my real final thought, is, yeah, we need to go pick up our mask. Uh, <laughs> those of you listening to this will have no idea what I'm talking about. My real final thought is this, last thing. Um, Saturday was a bit of a challenging day in terms of organization and, and technical stuff. But when it was time for the filmmaker panel, and I got to uh, call up you know, on stage with the director of My Mother's Songs, Eric Umsamanje, I got to call up the directors of Clown Town, and I remember saying, you know, I'm going to have My Mother's Songs and Clown Town on the stage at the same time, and that's why I love my film festival, and I think I did like this crazy, like, jumping up and down motion. <laughs> that was not acting. That was like me being really genuinely thrilled and excited that that is the film festival, and that's exactly what I wanted it to be. And more than any other year, I feel like I claimed that mission. So, yes. Anyway, that was this year. That's our wrap-up. We're going to go get a big mask for Halloween Tatooine, which is our next big thing. Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's end this podcast and wrap-up of the 2015 Horrible Imaginings Film Festival with a hearty congratulations to all of the winners of the Horrible Imaginings Toil and Trouble Awards this year. I'll go ahead and name our winners. And uh, if you go to hifilmfest.com slash 2015 award winners, you will see a complete list of the winners, as well as links to where you can see trailers for their films, a little bit of information about their films, and learn more about our award winners, because without their content, this festival would have been nothing, literally. So, without any further ado, our award winners... The best score in a short film was taken by Mr. Denton, directed by Ivan Villamel Sanchez. Second place was Bunny, and third place was Huckster in that category. The best score in a feature film was unanimously taken home by You're Killing Me, the feature film directed by Jim Hansen. For best special effects in a short film, we had El Gigante take home the prize, with The Smiling Man taking home third place and Thorn taking home second place. For best special effects in a feature film, Keades, Forced Glade of Death, was our award winner for features. For best cinematography in a short film, The Huckster, or La Ropa Vejera, took home the trophy for the best cinematography prize, with Bunny in third place and She in second place. For Best Cinematography in a Feature Film, our own locally produced Valley of the Sasquatch 
took home the trophy. Congratulations to producer Matt Medish, our San Diego uh, representative, and to director John Portanova. Best actor in a short film was taken. The, t- the trophy goes to Steve Wall from the film Ghost Train, with third place going to Carlos Vincente from Sanguine Craving and Luis de Vese from Dos Gatos. Best actress in a short film goes to, and I hope I don't pronounce your name, it's a really unique uh, name, Fianuala Kennedy from Bunny. From, from Bunny takes home the trophy with third place going to Asuka Kurosawa from Thorn and second place going to Anna Torrent from the, from La, La Ropa Vejera or The Huckster. Best Actress in a Feature Film goes to, by unanimous decree, Lena Bader from Kiri's Forest Glade of Death. And Best Actor in a Feature Film goes to Matthew McKelligan from You're Killing Me with third place going to Jason Vale of Valley of the Sasquatch, and second place going to Jeffrey Self of Also You're Killing Me. Best Director of a Short Film. The trophy is going to Gigi Sol Guerrero of El Gigante, with second, uh, third place going to Lee Cronin of Ghost Train, and second place going to Adam Ani of Bunny. The best director of a feature film is unanimously going to Jim Hansen of You're Killing Me. For funniest horror comedy, the trophy is going to The Barber's Cut, with third place going to Sanguine Craving and second place going to Invaders. For best animated film, Junk Girl from Iran is going to is getting the trophy with third place going to in the tall grass and second place going to office kingdom for the best monster show short film of the festival the trophy is going to aj briones's the smiling man with a third place tie going between ghost train by lee cronin and mr denton by ivan viamel sanchez and second place goes to El Gigante, Gigi Sol Guerrero's film. Best Dramatic Short Film is going to La Ropa Vejera, or The Huckster. So congratulations to you. And third place, Ant's Apartment from Iran. And second place, Bunny. The Best Feature Film by our judges in order uh, and what they called the feature film that most closely achieved what it was obviously trying to achieve was the German zombie film Kiedis Forest Glade of Death. Those were all voted, bo- voted upon by our prestigious judges from various aspects of the filmmaking industry. You can read all about our judges, Beth Accomando, Kathy Albrecht, Eric Elick, Kristen Naomi Garcia, Stephen W. Martin, Kirsten McCallion, Dallas McLaughlin, and Michael McQuiggan on that same page, hifilmfest.com slash 2015 award winners. Finally, we had audience favorites. So these are the awards the audience voted upon. Two awards, one for favorite short and one for favorite feature. What did the viewers decide? Well, for the favorite short film, uh, there's actually a tie for second place between A.J. Briones' The Smiling Man and G.G. Saul Guerrero's El Gigante, 
with the trophy going to Adam Ani's thriller, Bunny. And finally, the audience awarded the best feature film to Jim Hansen's hilarious LGBT slasher, You're Killing Me. Again, huge congratulations to our award winners this year, and uh, you all are making me want to work twice as hard to make it even better for next year. As daunting as that is, I still have to say thank you for it. That's it for this time, everybody. We have a lot more episodes in the pike, so stay tuned for more Horrible Imaginings podcast episodes. And until next time, stay scared.